teaching friends from across the country who've discovered that if you don't laugh you cry and lose sight of your why i'm retta i'm deanne i'm tracy and i'm kathy and we teach so hard you know what's really hard setting up collaborative learning in your classroom <laughs> <laughs> You know, the name of that music that I just played was called Run Amok, and I just thought it was perfect. And you know, when you first introduce collaborative learning, your classroom just might run amok. (laughs) Perfect. So, So what is collaborative learning, you might ask, or even if you don't? As I've always said to my kids, it's not a wedding. What? Do you Am I dressed up? Do you see flowers? Do you hear a band? No, it's not a wedding. It's basically a group, a small group. Collaborative learning is just the instructional use of small groups so that students work together to maximize their own and each other's learning to complete a goal that you've already set up ahead of time as their teacher. Oh, I know. I know. It's simple. It's not that hard. I know. In the ideal classroom, all students learn how to work collaboratively with others, compete for fun and enjoyment, and work autonomously on their own. That's in the ideal world, too. (laughs) Absolutely. And the teacher decides which goal structure to implement within each lesson. Uh-huh. That's when Doris Day is the teacher uh-huh. and Mary Poppins comes in with her umbrella. No, we're going to tell you how to make it work, guys. Stay well, tuned. And, and you know, they all get along and they all work hard. Yes. Right. <laughs> but I'm sure you guys heard the research too, where a lot of businesses, employers were saying that kids coming out of high schools and colleges were not able to work together and talk and build on each other's ideas. So this is so important. And that that's a more important skill. Yes. So we're going to talk about that. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. So how does one go about starting collaborative groups? Let's talk about it. Okay, guys, I'm going to tell you, I have a confession to make before I, I say my spiel about about collaborative groups, but I was that kid who always wanted to work alone. Because <laughs> you were the one who did all the work, yep. I bet. Yes, Same. I was. And no, mm-hmm. it, it just, oh, I, I couldn't stand it. You know, not, but as a teacher, I have found a way to do some, I structure collaborative groups because I remember that experience myself, you know, as a kid, I structure them very differently. And so when there's assessment involved, it's not group assessment. I agree. Definitely. I'm, right. I'm, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Can I, do I just both. add to your comment though, Tracy? Yeah. Because I was also the kid who did all the work, but 
the social interaction was so important to me mm-hmm. that I didn't mind doing all the work. I just wanted to have everybody else to talk to <laughs> while I was doing it. <laughs> so, so there's that kid too. I think we were very different kids in the yeah, classroom. Pers- yes. Personality types. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> task oriented. I was like, "You're wasting time. Let's go." You know. Oh, and I was like, "I'm glad you're here. I'll do it." <laughs> I want want to say, as far as um, like, uh, what's my the grading? What I would do is I would grade them individually and as a group, and so they would get separate grades for everything, and they would like have to initial, you know, initial papers to show that they did their part. And that's important for middle school and high school. I Mm -hmm. see where you're going. I think for the littler ones, though, just the, the, you know, if we teach them nothing else the first few weeks, let's teach them how to work together. Yeah. No matter matter what they produce, let's teach them to be in one space without hurting each other. I think or leaving or or turning, turning their face to the corner while and they're back to the group. I've had that too. I think that that's one of the biggest um, problems that comes up for teachers with collaborative learning is it's a, it's a mistake in my opinion to jump in with both feet without teaching group skills first, without teaching kids how to interact with each other, how to respond to each other, how to disagree with each other, how to build on each other's responses. If you don't teach those basic skills, it's going to be like the parade of the meatballs. I mean, it's like, it it really will. And plus we remember our kids by the end of the year when we've been doing it all year. (laughs) So then our new group of kids comes in and we sometimes expect them to be able to interact effectively. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't, don't give those end of year expectations to your new babies. Yeah. I know. I know. And in middle school, we do expect that and you guys are doing it. So that's why I guess they basically do not. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. We always hope the other guys are doing it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes our life easier. <laughs> so I know that there are some specific strategies that many, you know, that all of us have used or to teach, um, you know, to teach some of those foundational skills to kids before we ever sometimes even throw them in a group um, we're modeling, right. And we're, we're doing some things to teach them how to talk uh, to each other, how to interact with each other. I mean, something as simple, like I remember like what you were saying, Retta, about the kid who's got his back to the rest of his group. You know? Right. And his face in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> you start out with partners and you say, okay, you got, you two are going to work together and they're, you know, you've got this thing to do. And then you look at them And they're miles apart. There's no way they can hear what they're saying to each other. One won't even look at the other. Um, (laughs) So even like something as simple as showing them how groups who work together how they look. Right? Right. Lean in. Six-inch voice. You need to be no farther than six inches away so you can be heard with your six-inch voice. Right. But even a simple like tea chart looks yeah. like sounds like, and then modeling and practicing and fish bowling, you know. Yes, yes. And they love they love being the ones yeah. to model it, especially if it's you know model how not to do it. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, they That's love easy. that part. Yes. Try that first. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. So, well, I just keep finding myself saying inside voices, inside voices. <laughs> Another thing I like to do besides the fishbowl is go around and video, um, take uh, videos of different groups and then play them back and have everybody, you know, talk about it. No, they would love that. How do they yeah. do? I like what, that. you know, what do you see? What do you see in body language? What do you hear? And then after you do those kinds of lessons, I think one of the things that's been really beneficial for me is to develop a continuum of how am I doing kind of scale with the kids. So Mm -hmm. where you have, you know, from the lowest kind of skill base all the way to I'm an expert at collaborative learning. And then you ask them at the end of every session, especially those first couple months of school when you're trying to you know, get those skills locked down. Right. How, okay. Think about how you did, where would you put your magnet or your number or your picture or whatever it is you're using? Show me yes. on the scale. Where were you today? And where are you going to be tomorrow when we do this again? Well, what, how, love- what are you going to change? And those numbers or pictures are right in their own little data notebook, right? Not up on the wall. No, not necessarily. Sometimes I don't just do them on the wall. I have a scale up there and it's something that they can move. It's a self-assessment kind of thing. So, and it's not something to be shame, shameful about because we talk mm-hmm. about, I mean, this is not like I sucked. Here's where I was. It's, it's like, you know what? We all have days. We all have days where sometimes we're here and then the next day we're here. So, I look yeah. at it like there's no shame in this and it doesn't stay up forever. It's more of a, you know, fist to five. First couple of things. weeks things. It's a yeah. fist to five yeah. kind of thing. And then the magnets get moved back, you know, and we talk about it. But it's it's definitely, you know, just a way for them to, to show me how they're evaluating themselves. Well, and, and it's kind of like when back. we were talking about using that type of continuum for belonging, when we were talking about belonging, right? So kids know they can move that they can move, yeah, it's yeah. physical, you can see it, but it's not stuck in place. Yes, right. and discourse. Maybe they can go from black and white to color. <laughs> Let's see who was listening they last know. time. <laughs> oh, the invisible boy, yes. <laughs> well, so let's talk about what are some effective collaborative group structures that we found. Well, I've I've used this a lot, a team product where, you know, actually the kids, well, for one I can think of is they made a game together. It was uh, for ancient history and each group took a different area to study like Rome or um, Greece, Egypt, and they would make a game. And um, in order to get them to working well together, you have to give them each a different role to play. And some of the favorite roles that I've used are manager. They try to have to keep the team on task. But again, you have to show them how to do this before you can expect them to just go, you know. And um, a reader is the person that might read the question out loud. Um, there's an encourager making sure everyone participates, somebody that checks you over to make sure everybody understands, somebody that writes and records the results. And could be somebody to prepare the presentation, like an artist and the presenter, if you get a person that likes to present things. But I usually just broke my groups into four. So I would, um, you know, not use well, all they, of those, obviously. But mm-hmm. And they would just, they'd use the roles in the beginning and then taper off, right? 
Um, no, for each for each group that I did, they they always had a role to play. Everybody had All something through, to do through the year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I like using jigsaw, um, especially when you're learning new material. So you split up the reading into three or four parts, and you assign a part to each kid in a group. So you'd have groups of three or four. And then they'd read their piece and figure out how to explain it to the other people in the group. And then they come together and, and write their report together, you know, sketch it out on a, on a big post-it note or chart paper, and be prepared to tell the class what they learned put it together that way. So there's jigsaw and then there's community share. Oh, I like that. I've, I've used the jigsaw quite a bit um, myself, especially like in science and social studies, like that content reading where the nonfiction reading can be kind of heavy. And then, you know, it's an easy way for them to be an expert on one part of it. And then they have to teach each other. Right. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a great way jigsaw to too is a, <clears throat> Great way to differentiate. So sometimes I've used it where I'll pick maybe an easier passage or a smaller section and give those to certain kids versus I know the ones yes. that can handle larger chunks of information. Mm-hmm. Because I never want I never want a group to be upset mm-hmm. at other group members thinking that they didn't do their part. Right? You have the the self righteous members who are like, I'm doing yeah, everything. I was say, that's You're a- not doing your part. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good way to get them to listen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have some of those. Yeah. I, I think that's also good, especially when you have um, yes. special needs kids in your class, mainstreamed and stuff. You know, right. to be able to do that. Right. They ha- they could have a more scaffolded reading mm-hmm. piece. Yes. Um. You know, get some help filling in the blanks and and still come with something to say to the group. That that's making them you know a worthwhile member of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite ways, and it's just something that's really, really simple, but um, we move around in my classroom a lot from like there's small group seating to whole group on the carpet. You know, we're, we're all over the place. And but one of the things I love to do is I call them uh, walk, walk and talks. And so they will have a partner and they will walk down the hall and back talking about what, you know, what the new learning was, um, talking about what they're thinking about the new learning, you know, processing things together. And so it's, it's literally like a five minute break where they're walking with a partner and they're talking. And then we come back and we sit down and we pick up where we left off and we process what they had just talked about. It's so great to get the movement in. And they're more likely to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And you can model that by telling them it's like what you do with other members of your teaching team, hopefully. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just walking down the hall and you're yeah. talking about, you know, a, a concept or a practice. One thing that Deanne mentioned before was the roving reporter. And it, it, it kind of <laughs> made me laugh. I think it's a, it's a great idea. When a team gets stuck, one member is allowed to roam the room looking for ideas and then report back to the team. The reason I laughed at this is I never thought of it or thought to call it that, but every year <laughs> my kids made up this role and did mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> they went right. in search yes. of other knowledge when they needed it. <laughs> you know, you were talking about walking and talking and discussing oh, and everything. That's what Socrates did with his students. <laughs> huh? 
That's why soccer is love it. Okay. You know, another way way I've used the roving reporter kind of concept, I was in a teacher's room um, years ago who used a a historian. Um, And this kid, whoever was the historian of the week, would take notes on the important bits of learning throughout the week. And then they would have the weekend to try and come up with a a way to review the, the week for the class on Monday morning. And I what a great was very idea. cool. And yes. I watched them do this and I thought, oh, I've got to find a way that I could manage something like this. So sometimes what I do that's kind of like a roving reporter is I'll tap one student to go from group to group and at you know while we're working on independent work time and ask the kids so what did we learn in this lesson i need to i need to summarize it at the end they're the summarizer what did i learn what did we learn what were the big points what do you think i should write down for this and then at the end of the lesson that's our closer that 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 child stands up and says so today this is what we said we learned you know, in math, this was the main idea of the lesson. This is what well, we identified for as our learning. critical thinking skills and presentation and, skills. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And yet everyone is still involved because they have to talk to the right. people right. who are working. Okay, what did you learn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's there's one more that we didn't we didn't discuss. Paris check where uh, it's good for learning new materials mm-hmm. where you put. T- teams of four and they work on a set of exercises. One member works on a problem while the second coaches and they do that and they're out of the, you know, the four. And then the second member works on a problem while the first coaches, and then they check their answers with the members of their same Mm -hmm. team. And after the problems are resolved, the process is repeated for all the different exercises that you're doing. Probably be great for math. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I used to do something, too. I think I'm combining to that and something else we already talked about. But I'd have a group of four, and we'd start off with partners doing their turn and talk, people across from each other, uh, next to each other. And then when they were finished, they'd turn and they'd talk to the people across from them. Mm. And then all four. There's another strategy that I think it's a Kagan learning strategy that yes, I can't remember the name of it, one. but you you give a topic or a question is posted and about what they just learned. And then they get up and start to walk around the room while you play music. And as soon as the music stops, I almost think of like musical chairs, but they're not shoving anyone out of the way. <laughs> they have to find a partner. They have to give them a high five <sighs> and then answer yeah. the question. <laughs> and then they go again. But again, it's uh-huh. it's kind of like yours, Tracy, where they have to oh, do the movement that. and walking, That's great. and it just it's something fun, something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. I like that. I missed that training. I <laughs> almost <me too. laughs> and that makes me almost want to go back to teaching. <laughs> almost. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Well, let's go ahead, ladies and. Talk about, we've talked about some of the structures that we've used and the ways that we can arrange kids for collaborative learning. Um, What are some things that, some advice that you do for making collaborative groups more effective? What are some things that you do? Well, there's different ways that I've chosen groups, kind of depending on what the activity is. So I think part of making it effective is making sure you know what the end result you want is. (laughs) Um, 
I've used just a random generator mm-hmm. where it like generates partners. Mm-hmm. Um, if if any of you use Class Dojo, you can actually just click. I think it says random or groups, and it tells you it asks you how many people in a group, and it also asks you if there's any mm-hmm. students that you cannot have paired together, which is helpful. And the kids, the kids love that. That's nice. Oh, we we use nice. you use that for what? I'm sorry, something like that too. Ginzi, if you've oh, ever checked out Ginzi, okay. that has a randomizer too. It's pretty cool. And then I have um, something I used to use on my iPhone. It was called Stick Pick. <clears throat> and what I like about that, it's the same as having a jar with popsicle sticks in it, you know, with kids' names yeah. on it. But it's on it's on it's on your phone, so it's really easy to to access. And you categorize your learners ahead of time, and it gives you. Um, question stems to use when you when you pick them and you ask questions Mm -hmm. of them and so you can have an ESL type of question stem or blooms or the revised blooms and um you know or just picking the Mm -hmm. student so it's a really good good way to choose choose groups and to question people in the group so you're not always picking on the same kids I think one of the things one of the things that I do that, um, in my mind, makes them more makes them successful for me, is um, I really think about you know what you said, Kathy, about what is my outcome, and I try. For me, it's my comfort level. I am not comfortable giving a grade for a group assignment, and I don't want to. And that's just my stance. I don't want to do it. I do do not want to do it because I don't think it's fair. I mean, for me, I just, I'm not so uncomfortable with it. So there might, the way I structure things is that kids have, they might work towards a goal um, in the cooperative situation. They're working towards the common goal. They're helping each other. They're researching, they're doing this or that, but the end piece will end up being something that they use that, you know, that they're producing themselves. Um, And that's Mm kind of how I structure. And I didn't mean to sound so judgmental. My God, I sounded judgmental. (laughs) It's because I've been scarred. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just had awful experiences as a child in school with, with this kind of thing, with these projects that just, it drove me nuts. It just did. The inequity of it just made me crazy. Yeah, that's that's not fair for you to, you know, one kid to get have to do all the work, you know. I mean, even though I did use, I did do some, you know, group grades, as I say, that have to initial the parts that they did and certain things had to be done. But even even then, I mean, sometimes parents would really get upset with it, right. too. And I could understand yeah. that. You know, but that was why, that's why I gave individual grades too. Oh, yes. I think we all should check out Deanne's collaborative group manual on TPT. Oh. And make sure we've got all the practices down before the year starts. Well, you know, talking about PDs, that was the best PD I'd ever taken, you know, on, on collaborative mm-hmm. learning. It really, it yeah. really stuck with me. I guess because I was interested in yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that helps. I think, right. uh, think self reflection is important too. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a cool piece is to, to have them self reflect. How did I do it in this, you know, with this team goal? How, uh, where was I? Right. Did I and do I think what it's I thought I was to ask going ourselves to do? Too, or like, didn't what I? is our purpose for groups? Right. 
right? Sometimes we just put kids in groups because that's what we do, but there really needs to be a reason yeah. for it mm-hmm. and then a structure to it also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, structure is important. Like, it really yeah, is. It's one of my favorite things to do sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes make, is make girl so groups. gender groups. I can make boy groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They love it when you do that. Well, and I do. <laughs> it's like, yes. it's a great day today. Well, certain subjects <laughs> I do that, you know, math right. in particular for girls, sometimes girls, you know, they don't, unfortunately, still don't see themselves as mathematicians, the social um messages mm-hmm. that that they're given about math and gender so for them to work in a, a same gender group can be actually really liberating for them <laughs> and the same for boys yes, think about boys in a writing group there. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah they're not they're not running <laughs> and and the boys are are not having to make their wheels turn faster to catch up to mm-hmm. where the girls are they can they can really dig in and and they can work on things that that they like to work on without having them poo pooed, right? I mean, but but oh, you know, yeah. I just have to say here, I've had some boys that were phenomenal. Oh, I writers, did too. And Me and too. they would add yep. to any group, so I wouldn't do that all the time. I could see doing yeah. that once in a while, and then that's when I would do it. But I think that you know, boys sometimes the content of what boys write is very different than what girl writers do. And so for them to be in a group where there's, you know, similar um, writing going on can be very liberating for them too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand though, they can get too comfortable, you know, just like just all just to shake it up. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. You got to do that once in a while. Well, (laughs) we, as usual have, planned yep <laughs> this podcast <laughs> we're such good planners aren't we ladies over planned and oh, we have so much that we could say that there might actually be a part two to this podcast because collaborative learning is a fantastic subject to explore so we're going to cut this short because we're at the end of our time so with that ladies what is want your biggest piece of advice that you want to give for collaborative learning. I guess my biggest piece of advice is just make sure that you practice how to work collaboratively before you add in any of the actual I was going to say something that similar about it that I do a lot of, the especially this first week of school, um, of do a course. lot of collaborative and teamwork type things that don't have anything to do with academics. And we just start off with the practices of how to be in a group, how to be with a partner, how to make eye contact. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of practicing. Right. Right. Lots of charts and also, you know, a lot of fun just acting out fishbowl type things and, make and also doing it with like team building yeah. activities. So it's more, it's collaborative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of that. How about you, Tracy? All those STEM challenges. Uh-huh. I mean, 
I would say mine is just, you know, you kind of heard it already, is to respect the individual as well as the group and that realize that there are kids who are going to need the group structure um, because that's how they learn best. They learn best socially. And then there are kids who might, that might not be how they learn best, but to be able to to provide both opportunities in terms of instruction and assessment is really important. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, you know, I would um, set up my classroom in two horseshoes because I did do a lot of collaborative and the kids in the first, in the first <coughs> horseshoe would turn around and that would be their collaborative group. They'd work with the group in back of them. And what I did is I would, I would actually, they would work with a, one group for the entire semester and each semester they change. And I had this list and color coded something so that I would, I didn't want the same kids to be in the same group twice. So um, what I would usually do, two boys, two girls, and I would have like um, a high-level kid, yeah, that's a low-level kid, kept it and two average-level kids so they could all help mm. each other and hopefully work Good well it. together. Yeah. So, yeah, I did. and But it was a real pain. I mean, and I really, um, <laughs> in my you know collaborative group manual, I have my schedule with the color codes. It got really hairy after a while, especially towards the end. <laughs> But it, it worked most of the time. Well, ladies, as <laughs> usual, it's been fantastic talking with you tonight. If you are listening out there, um, we hope you enjoyed episode 51 of We Teach So Hard. Um, be sure, if you like what you hear, drop us a comment, follow us on iTunes, suggest us to your friends. We hope that you'll join us next week because we're having an awesome discussion. Just another manic morning. Not that was bad. Okay, so <laughs> the bangles. Let's get some of those go-go. coming up. Is it the gospel <laughs> or the bangles? I don't know. But anyway, yes. <laughs> we're, yes, we're going to see if there's another 80s bangles. queen, just like me. We're going to be um, talking about manic mornings. School has started and mornings can feel a little manic. We've got some zen to dish out to you. So we hope that you stop by and listen because you teach so hard. <laughs> <laughs>